Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don, as usual. Today, we're going to be doing a Q&A episode, uh, just going into the Curious Cat, seeing what you guys have been sending in to us and, uh, you know, answering to the best of our ability. But before we do that, I thought we'd kind of do like a just a kind of check in on how things are going with with Don and I. Uh, things have been kind of crazy for me. A lot of big changes in my life. We uh, We recently moved. We've been in this place now about a week. And, uh, it's, it's been pretty awesome. There's a, it's a very different sort of neighborhood. It's a lot, uh, you know, nicer as they say, uh, it's quieter. There's a little more money here. It seems like it's cleaner. Um, definitely not as much crime. Like it's really funny moving from a neighborhood where you have like Latin Kings graffiti on like dumpsters and stuff. And then here you see cars that have like star trek like bumper stickers and, <laughs> yeah yeah you know pride flags everywhere all that kind of stuff it's uh mm-hmm. you know it's a very different field a much wider neighborhood <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah but it's nice you know i honestly i i do like it i mean it's uh it just feels feels less like a dirty city atmosphere or environment it just feels like a kind of nice place to live sort of a thing that's cool is it is it bigger or is it about the same size um if you look at the actual square footage it's marginally bigger but it what it, it feels much bigger and the reason for that is just the layout so i mean you saw you you've been to the, the older place that we were at um it was kind of like a very serpentine kind of layout mm-hmm. you know like just sort of bedrooms attached to like this winding s-shaped corridor yeah which was fine uh but this place is much more open so like it's pretty much just a big rectangle or square shape with the two bedrooms and then like a big open space which is like your kitchen living room dining room area mm-hmm. and the and the bathroom is is part of that too and it's it's just much nicer i really like it uh you know, our old kitchen was really small, so it was really hard to get more than one person in there. And even yeah. one person, it was kind of a tight squeeze. For sure, our, yeah. Like our fridge door didn't open all the way, and there was, yeah. all, you know, all kinds of funny stuff. Yeah. Uh, here, it's like uh, you can comfortably be in there as a pair, and uh, everything's like easy to access and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just nice. We actually have like a dining room, so instead of eating squatted down at a coffee table, we have like a <laughs> dining yeah. room. You know, that's cool. Proper table and chairs and stuff, mm-hmm. like like real human beings. It's uh, it's great. That's cool. Um, how about the neighborhood in terms of like amenities and stuff? Is it like are are there like, you know, a lot of nice stores and a lot of you know things you can go to, like any community center kind of stuff, whatever stuff like that? Or yeah, um, we're within walking distance of two nice grocery stores, which is great. That's kind of important for us. We we're giving up our easy Aldi access, which sort of stings already. I can already tell we're spending more on groceries and it's just kind of a pain, but you know, it's nice to like, it's nicer stuff in a wider range of stuff that we have access to at these stores. So that's, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Um, we are closer, a little bit closer to public transportation, and I'm closer to where I would be working, so that's nice. It kind of cuts down on the commute a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a park nearby. It's basically as close as the as uh, like the old place was right next to a park, 
we're pretty close to a park here too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's nice. I guess one thing that, that is different is like if we wanted to go and have dinner at like a restaurant or something, the options are different. So like the old neighborhood would have more like there's there was a lot of like different kinds of like immigrant communities and, and whatnot in that area, which was really nice because um, I mean, I just sort of like being in a place where there's all kinds of different people and it's not just like uh you know, this sort of like, um, I don't want to say gentrified, but you know, like once you start to get to like middle class, everyone sorts, uh, kind of homogenize a little bit. Mm. Like these were like, you know, they still felt like they, they had their, their own thing going on, you know? Sure. And that's just kind of nice. I, I just appreciate that. Uh, this doesn't feel like that as much. So like in the old place, if we wanted to go out to a restaurant or something, there were tons of different options right around in that area that were pretty unique you know they were they were like interesting and unique and we kind of like found some favorites and and grew to like them and stuff here um it's there's you know you still have a lot of options like it's still it's still chicago right there's still like plenty of different kinds of people doing their thing here but um it just feels a little bit more of a samey sort of thing it's a little bit pricier um i don't know that that feels like a minor downgrade in terms of of that but Mm -hmm. um you asked about like a cultural centers or or something like that community yeah just like anything else like 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 movie theaters or anything like that kind of stuff like anything other than Uh, just your i guess you guys there's a movie theater nearby i haven't honestly looked around for that Mm mm-hmm but like I said, it is close to public transportation, so that's always like a you know it's not too too hard to get to one if we wanted to. Hmm. Um, did you want to talk about your day at all? It, what you went through or your stuff or? Yeah, I guess I had a, like a kind of an interesting day. We um, what was the first thing we did? I guess we went for a walk. We're close to a river, uh, so we went down like uh, walk down the river like through a little park area and that was kind of nice um we went to a jeweler uh to look into getting some wedding bands and they were really helpful you know um i was not not expecting them to be as helpful and as um not as salesmany as they were like they they were they were not trying to upsell us or talk us into stuff or anything they Mm kind of understood we're just looking for really simple wedding bands you know and um I I was trying to find something. Well, I guess we were both trying to find something with uh, that wasn't gold, just silver. Um, not that we have anything against gold necessarily, but I can't wear gold uh, as part of the Sharia. Men can't wear gold jewelry, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got you know it, it makes it cheaper apparently, so that's fine with me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine yeah. with that. Um, so apparently it's going to be quite affordable, like much less than I was expecting to pay. So that's, that's a nice thing, but like they, they were just really nice. This, this store, uh, they kind of like told us like, okay, well, if you're just getting like a simple band, there's just a few things you need to kind of decide on and showed us some options. And I mean, I really don't know much about, I've never worn any kind of ring or anything before. So like, it was all just like, oh, that doesn't look too bad. Oh, I guess that other one also doesn't look too bad. Like, yeah, I, I was yeah, pretty okay sure. with everything. Yeah. Uh, but we kind of figured out something that seemed fine. Like, I guess we were sort of aiming for, like, something that's pretty similar for the both of us. Yeah. 
kind so, of matching sort of deal. So just a simple band, like a- any jewels or anything like that? No, no, okay. just just bands, at least sure. for right now. Yeah. I, that uh, apparently is like a Scandinavian tradition or something. I don't know if it's a Finnish thing necessarily, but uh, that's that's what I'm going to go with, that it's a Scandinavian tradition okay. to go yeah. really simple. Sure. <laughs> and... Uh, um, but you you can wear jewels as like a Sharia thing, right? Can you or? Yeah, as long as it's not gold. I guess for I, I think that's the case. I I'm this isn't something I've ever felt a need to look too closely into. Yeah. But uh, my understanding is that gold is a no no for men, um, but beyond that, it's okay. Okay. Because I know like there are certain like big rings are like a thing. Uh, that's actually a sunnah, I think, to wear like a big ring. Hmm. So. Um, so yeah, and then w- what happened with the rest of your day? You got caught in the rain or something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it was really sunny when we when we left, and uh, Tabs was like, "Well, it's saying fifty percent of rain. We might get rained on." And I was like, "Well, I checked my thing, and it said like fifteen percent. So, like, fooey to you, that's probably not going to happen." Sure. And then, um. While we were in the, at the jeweler, uh, it started just dumping, just pouring rain. And uh, it was right around lunchtime at that point. So that that immediate area had a bunch of restaurants uh, around. So we were like, okay, well, maybe we'll just pop in here and get lunch and, um, you know, wait out the rain and stuff. And uh, that was actually like the first time we've ever been in a restaurant for like a year or so. Oh, yeah. Over a yeah. year. Uh, so that was a little... tabs especially was more hesitant to do that more reluctant Mm -hmm. i was kind of like well we got those stupid shots like what do we get them for if we're not gonna like yeah you know go inside a building full of people with no mask on right Mm -hmm. so it wasn't really full like what was weird though was like so they they seated us we went to this Greek place that we actually ordered in from before. Like we we were going to go to this other place. They were they were like, well, it's going to be a forty five minute wait. I'm like, I don't want to wait forty five minutes in the pouring rain. I'll just try someplace else. Uh, so we went to this Greek place that we knew we liked, and um, they uh, they sat us down. There was really nobody else inside. There were some people kind of like right at the window, which was basically outdoor seating, but not quite. And they, for some reason, were like, I, I don't think they had enough room for us there or something. So they said, is, is this okay? And we were like, well, she was a little bit hesitant to do that. And I was like, well, you know, there's no one else here. So like, it's probably even better than being outside is being like away from all the people who are trying to be outside. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like later, like they see another group of people and it it's like right at the table, right next to us. And then another yeah. pair comes in and they seat them at the other table right next to us. Like you couldn't, you couldn't spread it out. In this yeah, huge yeah. empty restaurant, you have to sure. group us all together. Um, mm. And none of them were wearing masks ex- except except uh, one guy. So I don't know. I, I think people are done with it. But mm-hmm. uh, food was great. We had this uh, Greek salad with a broiled octopus, which was wow. awesome. Like it, w- it was really good, really nice and tender and crispy at the same time. Mm-hmm. You could tell it was like just off the grill. That was really good. And uh, we had, what else did we have? We had some, like, this beet appetizer with uh, some kind of like potato garlic dip thing. And I had like a, a gyro and she had a chicken pita. 
which is I know that's kind of like I don't know it's very like standard like go to a Greek place get a euro they had all kinds of like fancier options or whatever but I don't know I was just trying to keep it simple I guess sure and then also some uh, like a side of uh, beans gigantes mm-hmm. or something it was called which was cool. very good they had really good olive oil too mm-hmm. we were trying to get the name of the olive oil from the server we were like do you, you know what kind of olive oil this is and he kind of hesitated for a moment i was like let me guess it's greek huh and uh he was like yes and it's uh it's uh completely pure it's not artificial i was like okay i've never heard of artificial olive oil but that's good no, to know yeah. yeah i don't know I, I know i know what you mean like yeah there's, yeah there's, yeah, there's yeah. Just a lot of junk out there, but yeah <laughs> just made yeah. me imagine what like, synthetic <laughs> olive oil like yeah, wow yeah, that yeah. sounds, <laughs> sounds bad <laughs> Um, yeah. But by the time we finished eating, the you know the rain had dried up. It was sunny out again. So then we just kind of made our way back home, popped by the dollar store for a couple things on the way home, and then uh, I uh, I started rebuilding uh, tabs a new computer. Uh, we got a computer case and a power supply in the mail, and uh, I kind of used some of my old stuff that I had upgraded from and gave her that, and then tore out the hard drives from her old computer and uh put it all together and uh man it was it was easy like the these new cases just make it so easy yeah um Mm -hmm. the they got kind of like all the cables already sort of set up for you and there's all these little cutouts and stuff like i don't know i i haven't built in a like a modern case so i was like very impressed it came together very quickly uh but now the issue is like oh the hard drives aren't they seem to be the issue like the reason we're building this new PC for her is that there were some problems that it wasn't like booting properly and stuff. seems like the hard drives are possibly the problem. So mm-hmm. maybe more, more repairs and whatnot that need to be done. Also the cooler that I had for my CPU that I am, you know, that I'm putting in her new computer is making like this kind of annoying sound. So we may end up needing to upgrade that as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did that recently too with uh, my computer. Like, uh, got new case and got parts and got everything, and um, that ended up. Uh, I, I was surprised at how easy it was for me to do too, even having no real background on that. Well, a little bit from like many years ago and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know, and it's been good. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, just for the nerds out there who may care, the case is a Fantex three hundred A. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wanted something small with enough airflow to kind of help keep it cool, but wasn't going to be super loud. So mm-hmm. that seemed like a good choice. Mm-hmm. Something that wasn't spending a huge amount of money on, but kind of hit all those check boxes. Sure. Yeah. So so that was pretty much the day. Uh, that meal we had at the Greek place sort of filled us up. So uh, we did cook. Well, she cooked a, like uh, some greens. We got a bunch of greens from our CSA. So it's a CSA season again, and we got our first pickup mm-hmm. on Wednesday. Yeah, look and good. they gave us tons of stuff, tons of greens. So we are just like desperately trying to find ways to like use a pound of greens in everything we cook. Sure. Um, so she made like a kind of like a halfway sog, halfway gourmet sabzi kind of thing with beans. So it's like mustard greens and a few other greens stewed with like garlic and ginger and uh, different seasonings and stuff and then some beans mixed in for good measure mm-hmm. it was good cool um yeah do you want to get into questions now 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. What's so, you got for us? So the first question is, I'm kind of a lapsed Catholic, but I've been getting into it again recently. I sometimes feel like I appreciate it more on an intellectual or aesthetic level without having actual faith, though. Are there tips either of you would recommend or books that which might be helpful? Uh, thanks so much. Love the pot. Um, so I guess that's that's, you know, to broaden the question a bit is like this idea of like, yeah, like there's people that are like attracted to faith in general, but they don't really have the underlying like commitment or belief or whatever. And they, you know, they might feel like they're missing something or whatever kind of thing, right? Like they're, Mm -hmm. they, they find it interesting, but they don't have that thing. I think I was like that for a few years or something like that, where me too, I was, it was interesting, but, uh, it didn't like click kind of thing. And, uh, I think that the stuff that helped it click was reading about like saints and stuff like that, like seeing people's actual lives and how they were affected by it and stuff about like all the different desert monks and stuff like reading the ways that people almost like the lessons, kind of like the moral lessons and stuff of approaching situations and stuff and, and how uh, interesting and funny that was. And then you kind of go, I don't know, for me at least it was like, well, this isn't just, interesting it's also like seems very true at like a deep level or something like that so mm-hmm. um uh, i think that the thing that's happened to me kind of recently with this kind of stuff is i've been reading a lot about sort of like the history and sort of the like details of the theology and stuff and i i you know i've had a, a kind of a moment maybe in the past week or two where i was just like it, it's not about just uh trying to conform to some idea of what it's like to be a believer or something like that kind of thing. Like you kind of have to just, uh, you know, lean into focusing on what you actually believe and focusing on, you know, what you think uh, is, you know, useful for you and what, what, you know, like what you think, yeah, like what you think is true other than just, well, it's, this is true because someone else, you know, sort of, you know, like uh, ratified it or something like that kind of thing. And that's, that's difficult, but it, you know, it kind of reminds me of like Hannah Arendt said stuff like thinking without banisters or something like that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about before, where yeah. like uh, I think that there's there's something to that. Where for me, I feel like I was in a process where I leaned into learning about the stuff, and I think that most, I think most religions too, when you when you kind of like learn about them, uh, you start to see how the architecture fits together. And it's very easy to then go, because the architecture kind of fits together to then agree with it 100% kind of thing or something, you know, like maybe, or at least like to agree with a lot more of it than you might not otherwise or something like that kind of thing. So I'm kind of in a period now where I'm reconsidering a lot of like the architecture in terms of like, you know, not feeling like I have to defend something just because it's part of a religion kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. so I, I I don't know. I find that like that's probably important too. Where like, uh, I feel like a lot of people when they are when you encounter them at least, they very easily like mesh with stereotypes about the religion or something. Like they they lean into it in different ways. There's constant jokes about like, you know, whether or not you fit with the exact model of the religion on different things and kind of these uh, soci like. Uh, social sort of like back and forth between different religions and stuff. And I really, really want to get away from that in a lot of ways and just kind of be like, 
an ecumenical, like Christian, just like overall kind of thing, like a believer in God overall, and not as worried about like participating in that kind of like uh, fighting back and forth and endorsing things that I don't agree with 100% just because they're part of the religion or something. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's important to go with the flow a little bit. Like, you, you're not always going to be interested in every single aspect of religion all the time. Like, some some things are going to take your attention more than others. And it's important to be comfortable with that and just to kind of recognize, like, okay, now I'm more interested in the intellectual kind of side, the, the-, the theology, the, you know, whatever it is, the history the legal aspects like that's good you know it's good to kind of pursue that and maybe at that point um things aren't clicking so much on a more like spiritual side or emotional kind of thing or psychological or whatever you know it that's okay um these things kind of ebb and flow and then sometimes it's going to be the other way you know some which sounds maybe closer to what you're kind of feeling right now you know where it's more like i want to kind of connect with this more on like a fundamental level and not worry about all the the debates and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good thing. And then, I mean, that's sort of how I tend to come to all kinds of things, I guess. But I, I think with religion in particular that that's important because uh, you, you just want to be on, like, sound foundations on all those different aspects. So whatever, you know, you feel called to at a particular point in time it's good to just kind of go with that and just understand you don't have to do everything at once you know like it's okay to work on some things at some point and then once that sort of you know you you get interested in some other thing then you you move to that and it's not like you abandon the thing that you were interested in before but it's not taking up as much of your interest and your attention because i mm-hmm. mean you know if you're trying to do everything at once that's basically like a full-time job of just being a catholic or a muslim or whatever it is you know yeah so that's a little bit you don't want to burn out you know Mm -hmm. and you also don't want to force anything i think just kind of sincerity is a like a really fundamental thing to uh to faith at least in islam and i think it kind of applies generally Mm -hmm. so uh yeah i would i would just kind of advocate that i I like the idea that you had of like uh, reading about saints and stuff i think um the we did a Patreon episode about this, about a, a book called The Signs on the Horizon. That was a great book. I mean, that's that's more Islam-focused, obviously, but it's uh, very similar, except that it's, like, contemporary. So it's, like, uh, this guy, it's sort of half travelogue and half, like, just, like, it's little vignettes, you know? It's not, like, exactly, like, a, a single, coherent, long-form narrative or anything it's just like these little experiences he had with different people and how he kind of like took away something from each of them learned something from them and how you know he kind of felt that these were all different um like friends of god is the term that we would use in islam which is essentially similar to a saint so yeah I i think seeing um what you know people who kind of seem to be doing it correctly and what that actually looks like in reality instead of like a like in theory is very helpful so whether that means reading about them maybe you know people who you can you know just talk to or just be around that's that's i think even better you know Mm -hmm. for sure so yeah i would say not don't worry about it too much just uh 
things will click. Like I, I think if, if you feel like you just don't, you know, some people feel like they just don't have the capacity to believe or they just can't believe. I, I don't believe that. I think everyone is sort of meant to in the, you know, in an ultimate kind of sense. So it, it, it just doesn't mean that it's going to happen all at once or just because you want it to, you know, it kind of has to, it's up to God to do that for you. So, you, you know, just stay open to things and, um, don't try to force anything and it'll happen. You know, you don't, you don't need to worry about it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next question is, what is your favorite historical example of power changing a person? Uh. So my, my obvious uh, examples tend to be, you know, like socialists to get into power or things like that. Like, I think that like, uh, you know, there's, uh, but it's hard because, it, you know, it's one of those things like, does it actually change them or is it like, uh, you know, something they were that person all along or something like that. But I do, yeah. I, I used to be very interested in that kind of like reversal uh, that would happen where people would, you know, take power, promise that they were going to implement socialism or something like that. And then, you know, you know, do a great reversal or something like that kind of thing. And give it up in, in a lot of ways and stuff. So, uh, Francois Mitterrand in, in France, uh, is probably a good example of like someone that, you know, lifelong well, like, or like, you know, most of his life, uh, socialist politician, um, got elected on a common program, uh, platform with, uh, communists and socialists, uh, and, you know, one power, and then uh, after, I think, two years or something like that, just abandoned the whole plan and basically went back to, uh, you know, just becoming a more typical kind of politician in a lot of ways and stuff. So there's lots of examples of that, I think. And uh, for me, that means that there's more at play there than just the personalities, you know? Like, if mm-hmm. if everyone does it to some extent, or most of them do in different ways on the long enough timeline... Um, you know, it, that, that says more about the structure of the situation than just the opinions of the people involved or something, I think for me. So, um, yeah, definitely. And, uh, in terms of, yeah, like it's hard to think because I think a lot of them are probably just very obvious examples, like, um, you know, like Stalin or something like that. And, uh, of, he was probably one of the few people that, in my mind like doubled down basically and was like you know put into a position where building socialism was most people were like thinking it was just basically impossible to do and he was like nope we're gonna do it (laughs) and and then just Mm -hmm. like plowed ahead with uh and it ended up being pretty brutal what ended up happening in that transition and uh you know i i think that that was probably uh, probably a good counter example for a lot of people of why they couldn't just model themselves on that. But like, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, but people, so it's kind of funny cause like people use that as an example of power changing it because he, uh, obviously, you know, was like in, in the stereotypical vision, he was sort of like a bland bureaucrat who ended up becoming like a tyrant kind of thing. And, um, you know, there there was a the biography of him called uh, something like um, Revolutionary Jacobin or something like that kind of thing or whatever. You know, like some 
something along those lines where he probably did think of himself as like a French revolutionary kind of figure of, you know, getting into power, being forced to basically like exterminate the opposition and uh, stuff like that. Like, I think he thought of himself as being a very, very extremely radical, uh, um, you know, rational person, scientific person. Um, yeah. And uh, so anyways, I think that's, that's uh, an interesting example. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Stalin is definitely one of the first people that come to mind here. Although I, I wouldn't put him as like a person who changed. I, I think it's more like someone who, he, you know, he was just in extraordinary circumstances. So like, did he change as a person because of it? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's more like just the person he was approached that set of circumstances in the way that, you know that kind of made sense to him yeah um, I, get, I, I actually see him as someone who didn't change very much yeah so it's it's almost like who surprised people maybe is the question in right. some ways you know right. like who 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 uh turned out to be someone that people didn't expect maybe in some ways so yeah yeah the, as far as like people changing um i mean you know that's that's a difficult question to answer when you don't know the person personally sure but uh the names i w- i came up with was hugo chavez uh fidel castro and uh jfk and malcolm x even though malcolm x technically didn't like achieve power in the way those other people did i think that he definitely became like a leader in a sure. more prominent yeah. kind of way and um I, I mean, that's the most positive example I can think sure. of is Malcolm X. Um, Hugo yeah. Chavez is very interesting, I think, mm-hmm. because, um, the, you know, very similar to Stalin, I think, but uh, maybe more of a, a big, uh, more emphasis on him make, having like a, a strong say in what was going to happen. Because the thing with Stalin is that Whoever was in charge, it was going to be brutal. It didn't matter if they were left wing or right wing or whatever. It was going mm-hmm. to be a, a brutal period. I mean, World War II was not going to be like a, a fun time for whoever was in charge, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of difficult to sort of like really put on, on Stalin's personality changing or something. Hugo Chavez, though, became more like convinced about socialism as a revolutionary thing and the necessity Mm -hmm. for it for his people and all that sure and uh, it's just kind of interesting to see him go from like this military commander to like a politician and the way that he approached it castro is kind of similar yeah like che and castro i guess you can kind of put them together um and then jfk I, i i say him because i think he uh i think he definitely changed you know like he he seemed to like like uh, in a way that like obviously not like a radical sort of leader or anything but it definitely seemed like he um uh he had some ideas about what he wanted to do and to achieve through like you know pretty standard status quo sort of like liberal reform sort of a thing and kind of like uh it, it seemed to scare a lot of his opponents and um i don't think he was going to go much further than like uh you know, just trying to approach it from like a, you know, just a, the typical reform kind of thing. But, um, it, it did seem like, uh, whatever he kind of learned as he became president did sort of like change his view of how things work in the world and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 
I guess it's good that you gave some positive examples because when I see the word power, I tend to think negative. And uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, that was. Uh, but what's funny about that? Every example I could think of that was like that, that was like a negative. It it was not really that the person changed. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I could definitively say like, oh, they changed once they uh, obtained power. It was, you know, I. I guess I would just assume that anyone who becomes some kind of like tyrant always had it in the back of their mind on some level that that's what like, or at least they weren't fully sincere because mm-hmm. it's a big effort, you know, to try to take power. And if you are really committed, I, I, I don't know. I just don't buy the whole idea necessarily that just someone's going to just become like corrupted as soon as they actually have a taste of power or something that just doesn't make that much sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to look at the other way. I do. I do tend to think that like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't trust anyone uh, who uh, wants power to any extent generally. Um, yeah. Well, me, me neither. But <laughs> sure, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like they're yeah. already from the get go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. What's a bizarre retrograde superstition that one of you believes that the other does not? <laughs> well, there's the obvious answer to this, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We'll just leave that one aside. Um, I, I, I think one that probably counts for me is that I don't eat seafood. Um, yeah, that's, that is <laughs> odd. And I don't I'm know not, if that's a superstition exactly. That's it sort of a, is because it's like... Uh, uh, it feels like I'm not supposed to or something just cause our family didn't growing up, uh, for kind of mysterious reasons. I don't know. Anyways, like my dad said he was allergic to fish, but like, obviously there's lots of other things you could probably eat that mm-hmm. are seafood related that he just didn't eat because I guess he was, didn't want to, you know, you could like test things. You could even get tested, like actually tested. He never was, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I just never eat it. I've had fish like a few times um but like yeah like uh i don't know it's just it's just one of those things yeah i mean really because of ocd and stuff like that i probably have hundreds of these things that are (laughs) bouncing around upstairs but like uh yeah um i don't know yeah i don't know i'm not a particularly superstitious guy there are some things that i do get in the habit of doing a certain way but it's not like I think something bad's going to happen if I don't do it. It's just like that's – I'm just kind of routine-oriented. I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not sure if there's anything else that I was thinking of uh, on that one. Um, okay. So do you guys live with any regrets? Is there a parallel Don slash Tom life that you wish you had lived instead? Um, I don't know. The the most typical kind of regrets I get are just those, like, when you can't sleep and it's 4 a.m. and you think about something stupid you said in the seventh grade or something, like, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. that kind of stuff. That's not, like, a real regret. I, I guess I kind of wish I hadn't wasted, like, quote-unquote wasted so much of my time and stuff in my 20s, but that's, that's a hard one to really... I don't know. I was, I was figuring life out a little bit, you know? So it's, it's hard to kind of think of it as like time wasted. Mm -hmm. 
but it probably would have been a good idea had I like, I don't know, figured out some way to make money. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> probably would have been a good idea. There's a little bit of that. Yeah. I, I don't worry about it too much, but yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, it's pretty obvious for me, but like I would try to get help uh, early on, like in my teens or like mm-hmm. early 20s, like just, you know, commit to that pretty quickly and just uh and also very very you know outlined to my my family kind of like what i was thinking and feeling and stuff like that at the time so that i'm not like uh you know spending many many years uh sort of like figuring things out and then slowly teaching them about my limits and stuff like that kind of thing i think that would have that probably would have been a lot better in a lot of ways but like uh I don't know, you know, and then same as you kind of like in that, like, you know, wasting time on junk and stuff or whatever, um, uh, being more careful about like food and stuff like that. Yeah. But like, um, otherwise it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, there's not much you can do with regret other than just kind of like let go of it, I guess. Like, you know what I mean? There's not much like, yeah. you can just kind of like use it to maybe say, okay, I'll try to do this better in the future or something, I guess. But like, that's about it. Right. Yeah. Like, um, you know, some people are, who are like a little cocky or overly confident. Maybe they have that like no regrets attitude. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, you've never made a mistake. It's not really that right. Like regret sure. and acknowledging a mistake in the past are two different things. So having a regret is like, it's a little bit, pointless really like sure acknowledge your mistake and then like do what you can in the future to do better about that i guess mm-hmm. um you don't need to beat yourself up about it uh, I, I don't know I, I guess that's one thing that uh religion kind of teaches you is like repent you're taken care of move on no need to you know focus too much on it sure um if you went back in time do you think you could use your superior knowledge of futuristic tactics to win World War One for the Axis powers, you would solve the Israel-Palestine <laughs> conflict in a way, you know. Um, so, yeah, World War One. Okay, number one, I don't think they were called the Axis at the time. What wasn't it? Was it was like the Triple Alliance or something like that, or like Entente I, or something? I Triple think Alliance. you're right. Yeah, I mean, so. I think you. Yeah, I, I think people today sometimes refer to the Axis. Okay, but yeah. Um. Yeah, would you, would you, I I would never fight for the Hun. I don't know. I would never like, uh, um, or, or is it like the Axis? Oh, was the Axis like the other side? Was that like the Entente in World War One? Like the, the. I'm thinking Russia, uh, Germany, you know, Austria, Hungary, Ottoman. I, I don't, I don't even know that much about World War One. Like, to be know, honest. Because Russia fought Germany. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Well, there's so, a lot of side switching and stuff too. No, um, I think that like, uh, yeah, I would I would not fight for Germany. I don't know. I, that's that's one of my like bottom line rules. Do not fight for Germany. Kind yeah, of you're on your own, Krauts. So I feel like uh, obviously, I mean, it says futuristic access to win World War One. So it had to. There have to be talking about Germany and what um, futuristic Russia. like cyber hacks we're gonna hack the i guess the like telegram lines <laughs> i guess tell them to like use tanks or something or um or like uh 
I don't know. It's got to be some, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a standard history thing of like, you know, you show up with a bunch of M16s or something like that kind of thing. I get. I don't know how to make one. I mean, I don't know yeah. how useful I would be. I don't know. I feel like World War One. it was just a meat grinder and there wasn't a lot of tactics that was at play sure. there. It was just like how many ditches can you dig and how many people can you put in those ditches? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm probably saying all kinds of stupid things. I don't know anything about World War One. I. I don't know yeah. anything about military tactics. Sure. I'm not the guy you want sending back in time. If you if you have a time machine and you're asking me to do this, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with you. I mean, I would just do the standard thing that I always would do, which is just like refuse to fight and lay down or something like that. So, <laughs> so I think that's 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 my solution. Yeah, um, okay. I would kill uh, Ataturk immediately after he won the, <laughs> the battle, the Turkey yeah, yeah. battle, to uh, to avoid the dreadful fate that befell Turkey afterwards. Sure. Um, do you ever worry that in all the glitz and glamour of your podcast millionaire lifestyles? You'll lose sight of YCW's mission to demoralize the left and trap them in endless, futile study of conspiracies. Uh, no, I don't know. We've been keeping on pace with that. <laughs> Everyone's demoralized and thinking about all these crazy conspiracies I keep spinning to hypnotize the left. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's working out pretty well. Yeah. I'm, I'm very focused. I think it's funny. I, I mean, I feel like we might have gotten asked this a few times before even, but like... Uh, it is funny that, like, uh, you know, we probably have personally, like, pretty optimistic views of, like, I don't know, just our lives and, like, stuff going on, you know, like, how we could fix things here and there or whatever kind of thing. But uh, because we're really, really critical of, you know, most existing society kind of stuff, I think, and in most of the people that propose to fix it and stuff, uh yeah, I think people maybe get a wall of negativity from it and then don't notice the fact that we're like actually like, oh, you got a nice new apartment or something, you know, like, I don't know, like. Uh, yeah, the, I, the, I don't even, the, even yeah. know if that's probably how we come across in general sure. to most people. I think there's a couple of people who, nothing's ever good enough, you know, it's, okay. it's the, the problem the left is failing is because of this podcast. That's, that's right. That's sure. the problem. Okay. Yeah, you need more cheerleading from two random people to have a tiny podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how can I make it as a comedian without getting discouraged? I don't. I don't know. I have no idea about the comedy industry. I've never tried to do stand up or anything. But my impression, you know, is that it's uh, you got to have a pretty thick skin and be able to yeah. take it. You know, yeah. So you should yeah. you should be discouraged and just move through it, like. Yeah, I mean, if you look at almost any of the comedians that are famous, I mean, there's there's always you know a handful of people who, just you can tell early on are going to be like superstars in different ways or something like that. Like if you see like a young Eddie Murphy or something like that, you're just like, okay, yeah, that guy's going to be a huge star. <laughs> I mean, he already is, but like you know what I mean? Like he, at the time, you're like, okay. Yeah, I was actually just watching a thing with uh, Seinfeld and Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And Seinfeld was talking about when they saw Eddie Murphy, everybody was just terrified because he just exploded. Like yeah. nothing they had ever seen before. And that it was like, yeah. and nobody since too. So yeah, I think that that's a pretty rare thing that you sure. can't expect that for yourself. I think if most comedians that you've seen, 
just are plowing through years and years of hard work kind of thing or like not hard work because it's like you know I don't I don't want to I, <laughs> I don't want to give it that kind of thing like sometimes people kind of like pretend it's like a working class job in some respects but I think it, I think it is more uh if you want to do it well, I guess is the thing and like do it well. Is it like, you know, you just got to be on stage a lot. Uh, you got to listen to people that tell you when you're not funny and stuff and try to fix it and, you know, work on stuff and take it seriously, I guess. And, you know, just, just work a lot, I guess is, is the thing. I mean, that's, this is my like not knowing stuff, you know, like I'm just a random guy too, but like, uh, um, and then, uh, you know, and, and put yourself in places where people will notice you and stuff. But I mean, it is also one of those things where the, 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 the sort of dirty truth side of it, which I think people are well aware of now, but like, is that most of the people that are uh, famous in this kind of stuff, um, have some reason why they are allowed to fail or something like that, or have some reason why they, uh, have access to the kind of roles that a beginner needs and stuff like that. And it's because, you know, their family's rich or they are part of the entertainment industry already because of their parents or something or stuff yeah, like triple that. Triple parentheses, <laughs> part of the entertainment industry. Sure. And yeah. Uh, yeah. The being discouraged, like this, this is just like general, like this applies to all kinds of things, but anything you want to do, like you need to want to do it more than any kind of discouragement is going to like affect you, you know? And uh, if, if that's like, an issue where it's like it just affects you too much um you know that doesn't mean you should give up on it or something but you need to understand that's part of the process of doing anything that isn't just like uh you know slotting into whatever role is just kind of there for you for whatever your position in society is like anything you want to do that's a little bit different it's gonna you're you're gonna be fighting against the current a little bit and that's uh that's going to involve a lot of people telling you you can't do it. A lot of people telling you you stink, you know, but, uh, if you want to do it, you gotta, you gotta just get good enough that they, uh, they change their tune. Yeah. I think that, uh, that's true. I think that also, uh, it depends on what you mean by comedian in a way too. Like, uh, there's probably, mm. you know, there's a lot of people that can be doing comedy like stuff that aren't necessarily the ones that are going to be on stage all the time. Yeah, TikTokers. Yeah, well, I mean, like, thing. well, I mean, maybe that too. But I was thinking of like writing and stuff like that too. Like, sure. like me personally, I'm not going to be someone that goes on stage or do stuff like that. But I can write little jokes for me and my friends, or I could write articles and stuff like that, and uh, that's fine for me. But like, uh, um, you know, if if you want to be on stage a lot, I think you need to work on performance skills and stuff too. Like, you have to. I mean, again, if if you're taking it seriously like this, probably the best way to become a good comedian in reality is just to get drunk every night on stage or something like that, and like <laughs> and like just ruin your life, but in a way that you don't care what you say anymore and just say whatever you think of, kind of thing and stuff like that. There's a there's a good track record to that historically, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. One thing Seinfeld said in that thing was like the the material that you see it's a that it's the only thing that comedian can do like so someone asked him about like do you like to do more do you ever try doing more character stuff or like how do you decide whether you're doing like 
more observational thing or more like characters or more like this or that or he was like whatever you see someone doing that's the only thing they can do that mm-hmm. it's it's just that they they don't they don't make a decision about that they just realize oh, this is something i can do and they are just trying their best to do that yeah. it's not easy to even do that so like that's that's pretty much it um so maybe you got to figure that out yeah. uh the other thing he said was that any joke that you hear someone doing you're hearing that because like 10 crowds before you like that joke. So the initial thing is like you, you're writing jokes, you're coming up with material or whatever that comes from what you like as a comedian. Like you kind of try to do something that you like because that's going to be the, the stuff that comes out the best, right? Like something Mm -hmm. that kind of comes from the heart, something you, you're just like trying to like, okay, what's, what's hot right now. I'm going to try and write jokes about that. And you know, that's going to be very obvious. I think. But if it's something you like, it's going to be a little more honest and that's going to work a little better. But you come up with enough stuff that then you realize like, okay, now what do other people like out of that section of things that I've come up with? And then that's that ends up being your material that you mm-hmm. run with. And then that you just do that and you do that to everybody. And, you know, if it's if it's a good enough joke, enough people will like it. It's just kind of it's a good joke. And then you end up telling it. Yeah, there's this series of interviews that Larry Wilde did which I think are compiled in a book, but also you can uh, hear them on uh, different streaming services. I'm sure they're on YouTube and stuff. And I know they're on uh, Spotify or something like that or Apple or something. Um, And uh, by Larry Wilde. And they're, they're with people like with Woody Allen and stuff like that. And uh, they're, they're from that period. And uh, um, they're, they're really interesting too, because uh, it's, I don't know. I think anything like that interviews with the comedians and stuff, knowing the industry and stuff like that, it's going to help you. It's one of those things where like, it's, it's not necessarily what's going to work all the time, but it's like, what can help you? What can get you that, that, you know, what can get you that thing where you're like in a meeting with someone, an agent or something like that. And you uh, know more than, uh, um, you know, you don't just sound like you, like you're a complete outsider or something like that kind of thing. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay, so the next question is, people are up in arms about the number of deaths Israel has caused in Gaza, and it does seem high, but it pales in comparison to deaths from heart attacks and stroke over there. Why doesn't the left just promote a healthier lifestyle to Palestinians? <laughs> Not um, a bad idea. That's always a good thing. <laughs> it is one of those things, though, where sometimes I think about this, too, where it's like, you know, if you look at deaths from conflicts, most of the time the actual conflict itself, like the actual missiles hitting people and stuff like that, is not the big deal, right? It's more the well. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, that is okay. That is part of the deal, but <laughs> yeah. it's like you know, they hit like a sanitation facility and then people die from that or something. You know, like it's or yeah, that's it's, it's that's more even the like, interruption yeah. of uh, like. Tennis yeah. and things like that. That's the real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Like it's like it's a, it's right. It's it, the destruction. That, yeah. Oh, you know, the, uh, to c- civilian art infrastructure yeah. that tends to cause the most problems. Yeah. And and also like disruption of just everyday life in different ways that right. uh, causes more disease, causes less production, causes less all that kind of stuff. So, less which food. is why the lockdown destroyed this country. So badly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, uh, but I think that like, uh, it's funny because 
this used to be a big thing. I guess it is now, but like, you know, it used to convince me more or something like that about stuff like, you know, well, you're like, well, Mao uh, saved all these lives because he, you know, uh, had barefoot doctors and all this kind of stuff. So millions and millions of people lived much longer than they would have otherwise, uh, assuming the baseline of 1949 or something like that kind of thing and stuff. So uh, there is that kind of like uh, almost like confluence of like effective altruism and communist logic or something like that kind of thing of like, you know, why don't we just, uh, it's almost like that the most effective way to save people would be to enforce with violence, uh, like a healthcare regime or something like that kind of thing. I don't know. It seems very like Foucault or something. So, um, (laughs) and, uh, I don't know it's, it's kind of funny that, um, one time I, I was taking a class on terrorism, uh, in, in, uh, uh, history class and uh in pakistan in Madras. <laughs> no no so and uh i wrote the worst proposal for a paper that i've ever written that actually got rejected she said no you can't do that you gotta you gotta do a different one or whatever and uh but it was based on this logic because i was uh, in economics and i hadn't taken i'd taken some history and stuff but not like an upper year history or anything and my suggestion was uh basically so this is probably like 2006 or something like that so i was talking about like uh um uh the effects of the intifada and stuff like that or whatever right and i was saying that like uh if israel had basically given a billion dollars a year or something like that to palestinians uh to sort of keep them happy now you gotta understand i knew nothing at the time of what was going on or anything like that really you know i'm just learning Mm -hmm. so i was like if they had just given them I said uh, that would be much more offset by the fact that like tourism went down during the Intifada or something like that kind of thing. I was like basically, I was basically trying to argue that like peace was so efficient that any gains from, you know, uh, any, any sort of like peace was always going to be much more efficient than like, you know, uh, emphasizing conflict or something like that. And I had like some, there was some, I don't know, like news article about it or something, uh, or maybe I was criticizing something about it or something. I think Paul Krugman actually had like an article. So it wasn't like just completely out of thin air, but it was pretty close. And uh, um, uh, yeah, so anyways, that, that reminded me of that too, where it's like, why don't they just do that? And it's like, I don't know, it just, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, it's it's it might be true at some basic level, but then it's, it's, it's stupid because it doesn't account for the actual situation. But then it becomes like true again at the genius level. It's like, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, they should. Yeah, the fact that like Israel is not like a great destination for tourism uh, actually is a huge problem or something like that for them, you know, like as a country. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I always picture the the uh, trailer park boys meme of uh, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks to fuck off thing. Yeah, that's kind of what you're proposing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The thing uh, with Mao is like, I'm sure that he was a, uh, you know, a, a pretty substantial factor in the benefits of you know those kind of humanitarian numbers going up and all that kind of stuff. But it's also like just I think anybody providing any kind of stability to China at that time sure. would have seen 
uh, you know, pretty similar numbers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I felt stupid making those kind of arguments about Mao once I realized that, like, he didn't invent antibiotics. Like, or something like that. Like, it's right. a, like, if you look at, like, the timing of when all these medical miracles happened and when they got, like, diffused around the world or something like that, it's like, yeah, anyone that, like, vaccinates for polio is going to, is going to, is going to, right. you know, stuff you see like that, that in like, other countries, too, that didn't have some kind of, like, sure. you know extraordinary political revolution or whatever but it also goes works the other way right like when there was a famine like china had undergone periodic famines before mao there was a there was one in like the late 19th century as well so you know like yeah maybe he was a factor in that not being handled as well as it could have been possibly i don't know i'm you know i'm just saying that's that's a potential thing but like you know, people kind of like, and and whenever there's some kind of leader that has, you know, has some sort of like edgy thing going on with him, he's a he's a revolutionary or whatever. You know, everything is his fault, and everything is is his, uh, you know, his doing that's positive as well. Like it's all it suddenly everything that happens, like the the weather, he controls the weather. If it's a rainy day, it's his fault. If it's a sunny day, glory to the the sure. leader. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, what okay. was the question? I forgot the question. Oh, so, so the specific question was why don't the left promote oh, a yeah, healthier yeah. lifestyle for Palestinians? Right. So. Yeah, I think they should. Uh, I think every Palestinian should get a free subscription to Spotify so they can listen to Joe Rogan and get all those interviews with like sleep scientists and stuff and yeah, all that. I sure. Think that's, a, that's a good idea. Yeah. A bunch of uh, Palestinians, just like millions of Palestinians on, on, uh, steroids get yeah like alpha really, brain yeah, and yeah. keto and all that kind of sure. elk meat <laughs> palestine <laughs> becomes the number one importer of elk meat <laughs> yeah i mean it couldn't help it couldn't hurt sure. for for the intifada yeah. whatever you know like for uh, i don't think that's on the right. restricted list you know sure yeah um well how about we do this one uh it's it's for tom uh that's me i'm tom uh, as a person born into following Islam, I always found converts were the most annoying Muslims. They often are the ones who lecture me about some hadith or make really sure everyone knows they're Muslim. Why do you people do this? Why can't you just be chill? I've I've seen this uh, spoken about online. I have never seen this in practice. In my own in my own experience, I've never known this to be true. So I don't know. I'm I'm I don't think anyone would know I was Muslim unless they like I told them or something and I don't really go out of my way to to tell people even like when it comes to, like I don't know someone's got like ham or something and they're offering me ham I just say no no thanks or or like uh you know I I don't eat pork or something I don't really mention like do you know why I don't eat pork or do you want to hear yeah, the story yeah, yeah. you know yeah, I, yeah. I am not really interested in doing that I think there's people, uh, my, my suspicion, I'm, you know, I'm sure this, there are annoying people like this, but my suspicion is that people who are born into like a Muslim culture, Muslim family or whatever, and then are not really connected to it when they encounter people who have converted to it, it just strikes them. Like, uh, it just annoys them. Just that fact alone annoys them. So anything that those people say that, you know, it's not necessarily always like them being especially obnoxious about it. Maybe they just like, 
you know, they say salam alaikum to somebody or something, you know, that just to, to the to the person who was born Muslim, it, it just strikes him as like, oh, how how obnoxious this person is just throwing it in my face. You know, sure. I, I my my suspicion is that that is happening, um, which yeah. I, you know, I, I can understand how that could be annoying. But like, just I don't know, maybe think about that. Maybe maybe that's happening with you. Yeah, this is a big thing on uh, Christians or Twitter where a lot of uh, cradle Catholics make fun of converts because a lot of times they're they're a lot of zeal, like a lot of a lot of uh, like big writers and stuff. Like if they're like, you know, there's there's, there's a few ones. I don't know. I know I'm not sure their exact names and stuff, but there's there's a few ones that are like uh, big in sort of like right wing intellectual circles who converted like a few years ago even. And mm. uh, it becomes one of those things where it's like people get annoyed that these people like lecture everyone and stuff and are like really aggressive about it. And are like, basically, you know, there's people that are like, Oh, the Pope should basically appoint who the president is or something like that, you know, like that kind yeah. of stuff, you know, and uh, they get a lot of uh, traction in their own little circles. And th- I mean, the reason why is because they, they get huge amounts of funding. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's uh, their job. It's yeah. literally like the job they have. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so there's very strange circles around that. So I get that. And uh, I don't know. I think I think for very similar reasons, though, there's also like uh, that same kind of feeling of people who, you know, are born Catholic or something like that in different ways, like, you know, the grown up. And then they encounter people who converted. They think that's just straightforwardly stupid because they think like you know, okay, well, why would you, you know, uh, it, it, it basically, like, they have all the list of reasons why they, they're not Catholic anymore themselves, and then they're like, well, you know, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's it's like finding garbage on the street and being like, I'm going to be garbage now, or something like that, kind of, you know what I mean, or like, something like yeah. that's how they see it and stuff, and uh, I don't think that's fair, but I kind of get it in some ways, like, uh, especially, like, if you're, you know, like for Islam or Catholic or some of that, like if, if you, if you sort of like are raised in some extent in like, you know, go to college and stuff and you have like very basic things that are just a hundred percent true and are associated with, you know, the Democrats or something like that kind of thing, like where you're like, you know, like uh, queer liberation or something like that kind of thing. And if you see that as just a very basic thing that you often use to insult Republicans and stuff like that. Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't be like okay it's time to time to respect people that do this or something like that kind of thing so yeah mm-hmm. yeah ex muslims is another is a similar sure. thing to yeah, that. yeah yeah like that's a yeah. big kind of little cottage industry I find those people are a lot more vocal and kind of obnoxious about their you know in it like in, sure. in their evangelism or whatever you want to call it yeah uh, than than converts are there are like there are like YouTuber convert type people, but I'm assuming this person with the question was asking about like, like normal, regular people. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Do you think you could be friends with Seth Rogen? I think I could be friends with just about anybody. And I tested this thesis recently by befriending the infamous school bonds wolf. He and I are chums now. <laughs> yeah. He's well, a Seth, psychotic, yeah. like Zionist who thinks everyone on Twitter is anti-Semitic, especially uh, podcasters, leftist podcasters is his big thing. He thinks they're yeah. all Nazis. 
and uh, he thought I was a full-blown Nazi, and uh, I just kind of kept talking to him and making jokes. And I don't, I don't change what I'm joking. I, I, I make the same kind of jokes, joke about Jews and all that, you know, all that kind of stuff with him that I do with anybody else. And uh, yeah, now we're now we're pals. So that's good. Um, yeah, Seth Rogen is Canadian, so we're already friends because there's only like ten people here. So. <laughs> He um, seems pretty chill. Like he seems like a fine guy. I don't know. He seems he nice. Seem a, yeah, I don't, I don't have know. a problem with him. I'm not sure. I don't like uh, all of his movies, but who yeah. cares? Yeah. Oh yeah, one thing. American Pickle and like that. What one movie that he he came out with like last year or whatever? Oh, um, I haven't even heard of it. It's called American Pickle. Yeah. So what it is? I think he he plays both himself and. Uh, um, an ancestor of his that like fell into a pickle jar a hundred years ago or something and was pickled. <laughs> and then, uh, he like, like is brought out of the brine or something like that. And is like in contemporary New York. And a lot of it is just like jokes about that, I guess. But like, uh, fish out that of sounds water, terrible, but that's a very funny premise. Yeah. And, uh, I was not going to see it cause I was just like, well, whatever. But then I found out that my, uh, great grandmother worked in a pickle factory for years and uh <laughs> i was like hey i in about the same time right like around or like at least you know before um probably before world war ii or whatever so still you know like still a long time ago so um i thought well now i've got the family connection so i can i'll be like that's what their life was like or something so yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean I guess that makes you Canadian pickle. Yeah. So, yeah, for the last question we'll do is, uh, is Cuba really that bad or did the commies have it right? Um, I would say, uh, like, in my personal opinion, like the, the, the whole preface to this thing is that it's like, I think like 10 million people live there or something like that. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's a small country, very small country in very difficult geographical position difficult economic position, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, just surviving is pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. as and it's they went government. extra hard mode and chose <laughs> communism too. <so laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there, it, there's a lot of like debates and arguments around like what, you know, whether or not they sort of trash their own economy in different ways and stuff. Um, I don't, you know, I, I feel like, uh, even just, you know, what they did is pretty amazing kind of thing. What, you know, just, just surviving it all, I think. And, uh, um, it, it, you know, if, if there's any sort of like defects and stuff like that, whatever, a lot of the blame has to go on the United States, obviously, right? It's just, it's just, that's the, that's the main problem. The main problem is the United States not, I mean, it's not even just like in a negative way. Uh, it's like a positive thing. Like the United States should be, or like, you know, the world at large should be helping Cuba develop more in like in different ways or like maybe not in like a straightforward industrial way but like uh you know like it shouldn't be cuba as being the one that sends doctors everywhere it should be like rich (laughs) countries giving doctors to cuba and stuff right so like sure and uh, especially like energy and stuff like maybe less of you know energy can go to i don't know like expensive cars in the united states and more can go to 
you know, temporary heating solutions in Cuba or something. You know, like, you know, yeah. I just mean like really, really I am basic thinking stuff. about though, so, like if the yeah. U.S. was sending doctors everywhere, we'd be sending Indians everywhere. So like, yeah, that's, that's a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, there is like a big debate about whether or not uh, becoming part of the United, uh, USSR's sort of constellation of allies uh, froze in a certain type of development into it where they focused on, uh, you know, agricultural production and uh, made it more difficult for them to do things like survive the collapse of the Soviet Union and stuff because it was very um, dependent on that in different ways and, uh, you know, heavily indebted and, and things like that. But, like, uh, um, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, that is an interesting debate for people in Cuba to have, maybe. And it's interesting in terms of, like, if you're another country that is facing the same kind of situation or something. But as sort of like a socialist academic debate or something, that's not really... Um, it, it doesn't have the same consequences that people thought in the past. Like, uh, China used to be very critical of Cuba for that reason. They used to criticize them a lot and say that, like, they, you know, were basically just going along with, like, fascist Soviets or whatever kind of thing and stuff, like, whatever, like, that they were a, a little puppet or something. But, like, uh, um, I don't know. I don't buy that. But I, I just think it's, like, I, I feel like overemphasizing Cuba is, like, yeah, but the countries you should be worried about are like Mexico and Brazil and stuff and Argentina or something, you know, like it's like, mm -hmm. those are the ones that like, or like the United States itself that like, you know, those are the ones you got to flip. And yeah, no, no little country like that is supposed to be able to, you know, transform the whole world or something. So, you know. Sure. And there's like one thing that's kind of, I, I, sometimes think about is like there are like these other little countries that are still socialists like laos you know in southeast asia mm -hmm. and they don't get any kind of attention like people don't think of them as like a socialist country uh, maybe they're not anymore but like vietnam still is i guess mm -hmm. you know it's just like they don't they don't get the kind of i mean they're about a socialist like mechanically the way like China is right. Where it's like, technically they have like a one party state or something, but like mm -hmm. they're still kind of like playing ball with everything. Yeah. But like, that's, I don't know. Cuba isn't that different. It's, it's the embargo that makes them kind of like, you know, a, sort of a special circumstances, you know? So they yeah. react to that. Like if that wasn't the, the case, I'm sure they would be the same kind of like nominally socialist but basically just kind of playing ball sort of thing like everybody else would too. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, in the last few years, they've also done a lot of reforms right. uh, to encourage small business and different types of business. And and uh, it, it will be very, very different five, ten years from now. I actually, I really wanted to go many, like maybe around 2010 or so. I really wanted to go because I felt like things are going to be so different, you know, 10 15 mm. years from now that it would be interesting to kind of compare and stuff but like uh um i don't know we'll see um yeah there's a lot of controversy around this right now but um you know it's hard to kind of find good uh, you know i don't have the um interest to kind of do a deep look into it or anything you know that i used to so yeah 
they should do the thing that El Salvador is doing with Bitcoin, yeah. and then we can call them BitCuba. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, why don't we wrap it up there for today? Okay. Yeah, guys. So thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to catch another episode of You Can't Win Every Week, you can get that by subscribing to our Patreon. You'll get that as well as access to our Discord where you can chat with us in our lovely community. Um, if you want to send us some anonymous questions, you can do that by going to our Twitter account at You Can't Win Pod. And there's a link to the Curious Cat link there. You can send those questions that way. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will catch you again next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.